we're going to now dig into something that I think without a doubt, many people miss. This is a very Christmas, Christmas message. But lots of times and in the reading of the story or, or not digging into the research, you might miss some of the things we're going to talk about. And here's what I want you to know is that the Christmas story actually begins with something very disappointing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your life where you were so filled with disappointment that it made you feel broken. Um, pastors, as pastors, we very often are invited into people's lives when that occurs. Uh, years ago, when I was doing next-gen ministry, uh, there was a, a, a brand new fad that was breaking out. It's actually not a fad anymore, but back then nobody knew about it. So some of you right now, uh, you're going to say, wait a minute, there was a day that almost nobody knew what this was, and what is that thing? Are you ready? Sushi. <laughs> I, I knew about it because uh, my family, we lived in Okinawa, so of course we had sushi all the time. But when I came back to the United States, like you could hardly find a sushi place. And then I got married to Pam, and back then that was still the same thing. So I'm doing next-gen ministry at a church called Non Avenue Christian Church, and uh, a sushi place opens up in Anaheim. And I am so excited about it because I missed it. But again, almost nobody knew what it was. So I make a big deal at our college ministry and we had this competition and whoever won the competition, I was going to take them out for all the sushi they could eat. And again, I had to explain what it was. Well, we have the competition and this guy named Craig wins. He's one of our sharp, sharp guys. Craig wins the competition. He and I set the date to go. So I go to pick him up. I'll never forget. I drive up, the door opens, he comes out and he is bummed. Man, you could see it all over his face. He was broken. What happened is he was dating this amazing girl and, and maybe about an hour before I picked him up, she broke up with him. He didn't see it coming. He was devastated. It was the girl he wanted to marry. And, and he gets in the car and are like, are you okay? And he goes, no. And man, he is just struggling because he was so disappointed. His dreams were dashed. His hopes were gone. His heart was broken. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so I drive him to the sushi place and we go inside and he starts pouring out his heart and pouring out his heart. And I thought, I'm not even going to try to tell him what we're doing. So I just go ahead and order and, and, and we're sitting there and, and he's going on and on and on and I'm listening and, and the food comes. And uh, what happens is right in the middle of telling the story, he takes a bite of the raw fish and then he keeps talking and I'm watching him thinking, okay, does he even know what just happened? And, and then he keeps going on and he takes another bite. He takes the third bite and all of a sudden he looks at me and he screams, what is this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we started laughing and laughing because he hated it. I, I'm kind of wondering to this day if he maybe still does because uh, anyway. But you know what? In that moment, I said some things that I, I really think I should have said. You know, I told him, hey, you're going to be okay. God's got somebody else for you. You know, you're going to get through this. You're going to look back one day and even praise God that you had this relationship because she was an awesome girl. But you're going to praise God for the next one that comes. And by the way, uh, is saying all those things in the moment, I, by the way, I think I should have said, but uh, they didn't make much difference in the moment. Uh, the raw fish probably did more for him. <laughs> yeah, but 
Later on, he met the right girl. Later on, it did work out. Later on, life turned in an incredible way. But you know what he needed? He needed God. And he needed other people to carry him through a time of hurt, pain, and brokenness. Uh, And you know what? Sometimes in life, what we need is we need people to come alongside us and we need God's Holy Spirit to come comfort us in a moment when we just see life going a different direction than we thought it would go. Um, Because I want to tell you, in most cases, people aren't laughing and they're not going to laugh in the moment. Um, I remember the time I had to sit with a couple who uh, had had their fourth miscarriage and they said, can you come pray with us? And uh, there was no words in that moment, and I didn't even try, other than pray and care and love and hug, because I wasn't going to be all right. Or another man I had contact with me, because he came home to find his wife in bed with his best friend. And he lost it. And he exploded, hitting and beating his best friend. And then he gets arrested. And he goes to jail and spends the night in jail. And that whole night, he sat there thinking, I lost my wife, I don't have my best friend. And he wasn't sure how to go on with life. And so when I went and sat with him, I didn't give any of those quick answers, which I think sometimes you do give. But I had to help him understand that at some point, God was going to take him through the pain. But he was disappointed. Or uh, a guy who uh, thought he had his dream job. He had the first interview and it went great. He had the next one and they told him that he was exactly what they were looking for. And then they hired somebody else. And he was already planning on moving. He was planning on where he'd live. He had been searching all the apartments and sites. Disappointment. Disappointment. And I feel like maybe in 2020, we're watching people deal with even more, not less. Uh, a person who had the hope and dream of opening up their own business. They worked hard. They got ready. They had the financing. They opened up and then COVID hit and they lost everything. And they didn't do anything wrong. That's, that's what sometimes what's so hard is like, I didn't do anything wrong, but I lost everything. Uh, or I, I've talked to more than one bride who, who had their dream wedding planned for this year and it didn't come off the way she dreamed. And uh, then there's the person who looked so forward to graduating, not just one, many. They couldn't wait to graduate. And there was no graduation ceremony, right? And it was just gone. And it was like, but that's what I look forward to. That's what I worked so hard through high school or college for. And, and I didn't get it. And uh, then there's the people who right now have been dreaming and hoping of that special someone one day coming in their life. And it was already hard enough being single to meet the right person. But guess what? It gets harder now, right? So what I want to say is that Christmas actually started out with disappointment. And God knows how to be with you in times of disappointment. God knows how to carry you through. And uh, so you may not be thinking about it, but the Christmas story actually begins with a man named Joseph who is engaged and actually betrothed to Mary, who uh, we know is the most blessed of all women. But all he could think about was marrying her. All he could think about was being with her. And then disappointment hits. Heartbreak happens. 
It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It begins this way. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, now catch those words, betrothed to Joseph. Betrothed means they were as good as married. I'm going to explain that to you in a moment. Uh, but she was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what you need to understand is back in that day, and actually even in our time, in a lot of the Jewish circles, uh, they have what's called the betrothal ceremony. So let me give you the background on that. So uh, when a young boy was born, uh, his parents, probably about the time he's a, at age five or six, they would begin to look for a, a, a girl that he could marry. Now, so when that girl was born, they would go to the families and they would make an arrangement. Him being about five years old, her being a newborn child, and once they knew she was healthy, and they would actually arrange for them to get married. So it would be known. Everybody in the village would know. All the families would know. As the boy was growing up, he would know one day he's going to marry her. And as she was growing up, she one day was going to marry him. And then, when he was about probably 15, 16, 17 years old, uh, and, and his body began to exhibit those feelings, uh, what happens is he would say to his dad, I think I'm ready to get married. And the father would say, okay, we got to prepare for that. So they would begin to work hard for him to be able to show that he could support the wife. By the way, for all the dads and daughters out there, <laughs> would you love that or what? That, that the guy had to prove he could support the, your daughter, you know? And so anyway, he would have to be able to prove that. So then once he could prove it, his father would make arrangements with her father and they'd have a family meeting and they'd come together. And he would show, he would, be, he would give evidence, yeah, I can take care of her, I can protect her. And, and if the man believed he had good character and he had the ability to support her, because in Proverbs it says, prepare your field before you build your house, then what happens is that he would, he would make the agreement that they were going to get married. Then they would arrange pretty quickly after that what was called the betrothal ceremony. So that's where we're going about the betrothal. So what would happen is uh, all the families would gather together, the friends would gather together uh, in a small area like Nazareth. The whole village would gather together. And so what happens is they would all come. And, and this is kind of cool. Catch this. So the bride would be with her family and she would come walking in. And he would be with his mom and dad and he would come walking in. So, you know, in our culture, only the bride is escorted in by the father. But in this case, it would be the father and the mother of the bride with the father and the mother of the groom coming together. And they would stand and they would be apart from each other. And then what happens is they would walk away, each from their family, symbolizing that for this cause, a man leaves father and mother and is joined to his wife. So they would come walking together and they would stand there. And the rabbi or whoever, almost always a rabbi, would begin to go through the betrothal ceremony, much like we have as a wedding ceremony. And so he would talk about the, the, the sanctity of marriage and the calling to be holy and the need for commitment. And then what happens is he would pronounce them husband and wife and everybody would cheer and then she would go home with her family and he would go home with his <laughs> did you catch that they would actually go they wouldn't come together they would go back apart and for the next year for the next year what he would be doing is preparing the house they would live in and planning for get ready for this a one-year honeymoon a one-year honeymoon 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, it says, when a man takes a new wife, this is talking about that betrothal ceremony, he shall not go out with the army nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. So he needs to have enough set aside that when he finally comes to get his bride, they can have a one-year honeymoon. Now, by the way, it, I think God is awesome. See, God says that's how marriage is supposed to be. God says that's how marriage is supposed to begin. And notice the calling here, by the way, for the man, it doesn't say the woman, for the man to give happiness to his wife. Uh, the word happiness is a, a Hebrew word, samak, and it means joyful or rejoicing. In other words, when they come together physically to be intimate together, the man is to cause such happiness and joy that she is ecstatic with, the, with what God, the guy's giving to her. So when it says he's supposed to give her happiness, <laughs> it doesn't mean tell jokes. <laughs> Some of you are going, Chuck, that's good for you because they're not as funny as you think they are. But, but here's the thing, is it was to give her pleasure. For a year, he just tuned into her. For a year, he was romantic with her. For a year, he treated her as special. For a year, she had his undivided attention. And that's what Joseph would be doing now that he and Mary are betrothed together. He was getting ready to plan for that moment where he would come and get her. And then, by the way, once he had that one year saved up, what would he do? He would start giving hints to her father that he was ready. The father then would start planning what's called the wedding feast. They've already had the betrothal ceremony where they're husband and wife. But now they're going to have the wedding feast. And so what would occur then is once he had given enough hints, he would choose a time, the groom would choose a time, and it was to be somewhat of a surprise with enough uh, uh, idea that the father could be ready for it. And then he would gather his friends, usually at the furthest part of the village, and they would all come together, the groomsmen. Then her bridesmaids would be about midway between where he would be and her house. And, and he and the men would start to walk and the people in the village would start to scream these words. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. Now, now think about that because we say that about Jesus coming for us. And it's very symbolic towards the second coming of Christ. Then he would come and meet the bridesmaids who would have oil lamps usually because this almost always happened at evening time. And, and they would meet him and they would cheer and then they would begin to walk and a huge procession would be gathered gathering around, going to the wedding feast. And when they got to the door of the bride's house, she would come walking out to meet her, her husband, and she would kiss him on the cheek. Then they would go in. Uh, and then he, the bride and the groom, would go into a wedding chamber. And usually it had a curtain and they'd go to the wedding chamber and everybody else would be outside waiting. You know? And then he would open the curtain and go, it's finished. <laughs> and if you want to know what it is, you can email Doug at crossroadschurch.com and he'll explain it to you. Okay. Doug, Doug would love to do that for you. But if you're not sure what I'm talking about, email Doug. So anyway, so what happens is he would say it's finished, which means that he has accepted her as his wife and they've consummated the marriage. And, and see, if he didn't accept her, if he didn't believe she was a virgin, he would open the thing, the, the curtain and say, she, she's not pure. And then her parents would have 24 hours to prove she was pure. Um, but what I want you to know 
is a Joseph. Joseph hadn't made it to the wedding feast yet. Joseph and Mary went through the betrothal ceremony. He's probably sending her love notes and letting her know he's thinking about her, but they weren't to see each other until he was ready to take her as his wife. They were never to be together. And then he gets word. She's pregnant. Now, you and I know (laughs) that it was the Holy Spirit. But come on, you got to think about this. He didn't know that. And I wonder, I can't even imagine how he must have felt. Mary was amazing. Mary was incredible. Mary was favored by God. So clearly she'd have favor with people, with men. And now she's pregnant by somebody else and he knows it's not him. I, uh, in my mind, could just see Joseph sitting in that house. Remember, he was a carpenter. He probably built all the furniture. He's sitting on a chair he made near a place he thought they would get to eat, looking into the bedroom that he thought they'd have, and, and realizing that house would never be their home. That's how it began. And it created a horrible dilemma for Joseph. Because according to Deuteronomy 22, he was to expose her, and that very likely would lead to her death. Because adultery, that would have been adultery, by the way. Fornication and adultery were punishable by death. And in Deuteronomy 22, verse 23, it says, Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin, who is engaged to be married. She's had that betrothal ceremony. And he has sexual intercourse with her. If this happens within the town, you must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. The man must die because he violated, listen to the words, another man's wife. Because they're as good as married. They were husband and wife. And it says, in this way, you will purge the evil from among you. So what you cannot miss is that Joseph had to be filled with heartbreak and pain and agony and disappointment when he heard the words, Mary's pregnant. But then he thought, what do I do to her? Do I expose her? Do I scream she's not pure? Do I... I do that knowing that very, very likely she not only would be humiliated, she could die. So what do you do in the midst of disappointment? Well, we learn from Joseph what to do. So I don't want you to miss that. So if you're struggling with disappointment, you're struggling with pain, you're struggling with feeling like you were so let down from the expectations you had, what do you do? Well, let me give you some thoughts that we're going to learn from Joseph. Number one, God gives his presence when we pursue righteousness. Don't miss that. God gives his presence and you want the presence of God and the power of God and the nearness of God in times of heartbreak and disappointment. So God gives his presence when we pursue righteousness. The Bible says God is close to the brokenhearted. Uh, Matthew 1, 19, we watch that begin to happen for Joseph. It says, and Joseph, her husband, listen to these words. Look at those words. Being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Well, he's a righteous man. I, I, I want you to understand what it means to be righteous because I think a lot of people don't understand what real righteousness is. Lots of Christians 
don't understand what real righteousness is. But we see he was a righteous man. And how does that come out? Not only does it define him that way, we see him show it when he starts thinking more about caring for Mary than caring for himself. Did you saw he, he did not want to disgrace her. He did not want her to have to go through that. I'm so intrigued with the mercy he shows, the care he shows, the love he shows. Uh, by the way, the word righteous means to be in accordance with, uh, with what God requires. But what is it that God requires? Well, in, my, in Micah, it tells us that what have I required of you, but to show justice and to show mercy and to walk humbly before your God. That's what God, that's what God says he requires. And a righteous person does what God requires. So being righteous is morally right. It is being uh, uh, someone who goes by what's justifiable, but it's more than that. It's showing mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And we see in Joseph real righteousness because he shows compassion to Mary. I mean, he doesn't want to make her pay. He wants to somehow protect her. He, he's a righteous man. And so what does he do? He thinks, how can I not disgrace her? He's been disgraced. He's been humiliated. He's been embarrassed. But all he can think about is how do I help her? The one who betrayed him. Far too many people think that being righteous means you get to be mean. <laughs> now, I need to tell you this. I have a team of people I sit and I go through the sermon with to make sure it makes sense. And when I got done, uh, all the people who were in my last meeting said, that is too true. That is so true. We've watched over the years how people use Jesus as an excuse to be mean. And by the way, you can't do that if you want to really be right. Jesus isn't going to align with you on your meanness on your desire to harm others, your desire to humiliate, your desire to put down. Get ready for this. Jesus came to die on the cross so you and I would not have to pay. He paid the price for us. And too many people want to make other people pay. I think about the grandparents who would not attend their granddaughter's wedding. Why? Because she was pregnant. You know what? It's, she loved her grandparents. Matter of fact, this girl I'm thinking about, she loved Jesus. Did she have a sinful moment? Yes. But she kept the baby. And now their wedding day was coming and the grandparents, uh, out of being righteous, by the way, that wasn't righteous, but they're calling it righteous, refused to attend the wedding. Why? Because they wanted to make her pay. They wanted to let her know they were not going to be for her and not get ready for this and not going to be for her marriage and not going to be for her child. And somehow they thought that's what Jesus wanted. And I tried and tried to get through to them. I tried to get them to open their eyes and see what the Bible really teaches. But that day, that wedding day, when I did that wedding, by the way, with joy, when I watched this couple come together and, and just be honest about who they were before God, I remember someone even said, I, I, I'm so bothered by this. Someone told her she couldn't wear white. And I, I, she came to me and said, I can't wear white. I said, oh, yes, you can, because you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You wear white. You wear white as a symbol. You're a Christian. You wear white as you belong to God. 
But those grandparents missed that wedding. They missed that wedding. Or there's the dad. By the way, it was at a Christmas time. I was out on our candle walk area where our huge Christmas tree is. And uh, I saw a man standing there holding this incredible little boy, his son. And we began to talk and all of a sudden it started pouring out. He goes, my father has never seen his grandson. He goes, Pastor Chuck, my father says he's a Christian. And I know I disappointed him, but I'm walking with Jesus today. I'm loving my family. He goes, but I want him to see his grandson. But the father, in the name of righteousness, wasn't going to do it. Don't miss that's not true righteousness. Don't miss that the presence of God is not going to come near in that moment to someone who acts that way and is that way. Don't miss that Joseph wasn't that way. And so what do we see? Joseph is going to have God help him in the pain, bring him through the disappointment. And Joseph, why? Because he's a compassionate man. And God wants you to be that way. So is there somebody right now that you really need to show true righteousness to? Is there a coworker that offended you that you need to go love and forgive? Is there a family member you need to reach out to and say, not this Christmas. As far as it is with me, I'm going to be at peace. That's what it says in Romans. That's true righteousness. Uh, is, there, is there a friend you need to be restored to? And maybe they blew it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever blown it? Have you ever messed up? Have you ever uh, not been your best? And do you really think it's okay to hold that against someone else? God doesn't want you to be that way. And we understand the Christmas story. We see something very, very different. We see that Joseph was a truly righteous man. And circumstances don't dictate the attitude, words, or actions of a righteous person. Joseph, Joseph didn't live by the saying, um, I don't get mad, I get even. Joseph didn't lash out, even though Mary had let him down. Joseph would not have canceled her. By the way, he would not have been a part of the cancel culture. By the way, if, if he had been, there'd be no Christmas. Are you ready? There'd be no Christmas for us. Um, so he didn't cancel somebody. He didn't avoid her. Righteous people don't make people pay. Especially when we know Jesus Christ made the ultimate payment. So Joseph in that moment wanted so much to make Mary okay. And we see something beautiful there, something amazing there in the midst of the disappointment and in the midst of the pain. So number one, uh, God gives his presence to people who pursue righteousness and Joseph would get the presence of God in his life. Uh, number two, God gives purpose to our disappointment. By the way, any of you go listen to Sawyer's message, go, Pastor Chuck, you took his points. I am, because Sawyer was so right on. And he brought out and what he shared about how God not only brings uh, uh, his peace and presence in our life, he also brings his purpose in our life. So God gives purpose to our disappointment. Please don't miss that. God gives purpose to that thing that is so disappointing and so hard and so difficult. Uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, But when he had considered this, Joseph had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, by the way. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God gave an answer to the question that Joseph had been asking. How could this be? Is it really the Holy Spirit? I mean, Mary had told him it was, but, but was it true? God gave the answer. And God, by the way, will do the same for you. Um, over and over again, there's a passage of scripture I quote to myself. It's a promise I treasure, a promise I hold on to. But I also quote this to people on our staff, uh, to people who are in our church, uh, to people I have counseling with. And what is that? It's that God will give you an answer. God will give you purpose in your disappointment. And one way he does that is by giving you his wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, if you're in a situation and you're not sure what to do, you're not sure what to make of it, you're not sure how to handle it, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You know what? So many times in this season, I got to tell you, I've gathered together different teams of our, our staff, and I've said, guys, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's coming, but God does. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. And I want to tell you, God has come through. By the way, all my life, every, since I gave my life to Christ, God has always come through. And in this season, God has not let us down. He's given us wisdom. He's given us direction. He's given us a way to go. By the way, I want to say this. I believe with all my heart, as we've sought God for our church family, he has shown us the decisions we needed to make in the past, uh, some we've had to make in the present. He'll show us what's coming in the future. And I want to say this. Uh, not everybody agrees. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've never been in a season like this. Whatever decision I make, usually within an hour, someone will agree with me, someone will disagree with me, and someone will try to tell me a better way to go. <laughs> Which one are you out there? Are you the agreeers, disagreeers, or do you think you know how to run things better? And by the way, you might. But I will tell you this. There hasn't been a decision we've made where we didn't seek God. Now, are we always right in understanding what God wants? Maybe not. But I could tell you I'm not sorry that our number one move, our number one way of moving forward, our strategy is to ask God for wisdom. You, you can do that. Ask God for wisdom. Joseph began to wonder, I don't know what to do with this, God. I don't know how to handle it. And God gave him an answer because God always gives an answer. And Joseph found out something. Joseph found out in the greatest disappointment of his life that God would turn that into the greatest blessing he would ever have. Don't miss that because I've seen God do that too. Out of the greatest disappointment in your life, God will give you the greatest blessing you could ever have. How he'll do it for you, I don't know. 
Uh, Craig that I told you about, the college student, ended up meeting a beautiful, amazing girl who actually was better for him uh, than the former one. And she was awesome for someone else. But, but Craig now would say, I, I would never want to go any other direction than where I'm at now. But he had to go through the disappointment of the breakup to get to the person God had for him. It doesn't always happen, but let me tell you, the family that lost four children, she ended up having the fifth go all the way to term. And uh, I, I got to say, when they held that little boy, uh, and they said he's, he's okay. Um, the blessing was huge. But they went through four times of great heartbreak to get there. Uh, but they love, love, love what God has done now. Um, the guy who thought that that job was going to be the life changer for him ended up getting another one that was even better. Matter of fact, I am not kidding about that. It had more flexibility and higher pay and a greater opportunity to move forward. And none of that would have come if he had gotten a prior job. But, but God does that. So God is ready uh, to do something amazing. In Joseph's case, it was a, he was going to get to be the father of Jesus. By the way, uh, you're going to be proud of a son. You're going to be proud if you had Jesus as your son. And so he saw the miracle. He saw the prophecy fulfilled. He saw the answer to something he had been longing for. Because a righteous Jewish man would have been longing to see the Messiah. He didn't just see the Messiah. He held the Messiah. He raised the Messiah. He watched him grow. He saw him astound the greatest teachers of the day. He saw, he saw, and he saw something else. This promised one's name would be Jesus. See, God gave a gift to Joseph that he got to name Jesus. That's a big deal, I want you to know. So he got to be the one who pronounced his name. Uh, the name Jesus actually comes from the Hebrew Joshua. And it literally means this. It means that Jehovah will save us from our sins or Jehovah will help us. And Jesus would have that name. And when he held that baby and they dedicated him to the Lord and they gave him the name Jesus, he was holding one and he pronounced those words, Jehovah will save us. Jehovah will save us. And uh, Jesus did that for his people. Matthew uh, chapter 12 tells something kind of interesting and in, in that later on Jesus would grow to be a man and, and what happened is his mother and brothers and sisters came uh, because they were concerned about what was going on and there was this huge crowd and they said, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside and Jesus said this, he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers and stretching out his hand towards his disciples. He said, behold, my mother... And my brothers, listen to these words. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. By the way, you and I are family with Jesus when we are committed to doing his will. Joseph was committed to doing the will of the father. And so what happened is he became father to Jesus. That to me is amazing. And so from a point of great disappointment, he came to the place of great, great blessing. So don't uh, forget what we've said. Number one, God gives his presence when we pursue righteousness. Number two, God gives his purpose to our disappointment. And God gives us his peace in doing his will. God gives us peace in doing his will. 
In Matthew chapter 1, it says this about Joseph. It said, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The greatest disappointment turned into the greatest blessing. Let me tell you something. Right now, some of you need that. Some of you need, you need God's presence. You need his love. You need his care. You need his guidance. You need his direction. And Christmas is all about that. It's all about God coming near. The, the idea that he would be the Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us. And he grew to be the greatest man who ever lived. He died the most tragic death anybody could die. But he did it for you and he did it for me. And he did it out of righteousness. Why? Because he wanted to come and bring compassion for you. Love for you. Mercy for you. Some of you need that right now. And I want you to know that God always comes through. But you need to call out to him. And the Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If you're committing to do his will, in other words, if you're ready to commit your life to him, he will come and guide you into the most amazing life ever. So let me say this to you. While I have had the privilege, and believe it or not, it's a privilege, of having people invite me into their lives and hurt and pain, as a pastor, I have seen God come through every single time. And right now, God has that for you. The Bible's clear. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Jesus even said this. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open up to me, I would come in. And the New Living Translation says, I would dine with him as with a friend. In other words, we would have friendship. We would be family. You would know love. All that's for you. So what do you do? The Bible says there are two steps we take to begin walking with God, to begin a journey with God. The first is you pray a prayer and say to him, I want to commit my life to you. The second thing you do is you make it known. Uh, so it starts with a private commitment and then it goes to a public declaration. And I'm going to ask you right now to do that. If you're ready to either for the first time or for, to recommit your life, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. You could pray this alone. Uh, you could pray it as a couple. You could pray it as friends. You could pray it as a family. But are you ready to do it? I think there's some of you out there now who are married. And I'm going to give you a second to look over at the other person and say, are you ready to do this together? I think there's somebody out there right now that... Um, you're single, and you started thinking, this is so hard, and I feel so lonely. You need to pray this prayer. And you need to connect with us, because we care about you. There are some of you out there right now that you know what other people have been trying to make you pay, and you can't take back what you did. And you can't, you can't keep torturing yourself. It's time you let Jesus pay the price for what's happened. So I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And then after we pray the prayer, if you pray the prayer and mean it, I want you to do this. It starts with a private prayer, which we'll pray right now. Then it goes to a public declaration where you text amen, which means the truth. It means for real. 
and you text AMEN to 69922. And then, by the way, when you do that, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to ask you your name because it's to be a public declaration. Give us your name. We'll protect it. We care about you. We want to know who you are. So we want to know your name. Then we want to send you a, a free gift, an electronic copy of a book called The Purpose Driven Life, which is one of the best books you can read right after you make a decision for Christ. But right now, are you ready to do it? I want to pray for you first, and then I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And all of you who love God, don't click off. Pray for people right now to say yes to him. Father, I pray right now for anyone out there who needs your love, who needs, Lord, your your presence, who needs you to turn their disappointment into something that's a great blessing. Maybe the greatest blessing is going to be in the midst of pain and disappointment. They open up their hearts to you and commit their lives to you. But right now, I pray for people who need that, uh, who need to pray this prayer. I pray, Lord, for some people who have disappointment. But rather than being like Joseph, they've been angry and filled with resentment and holding on to the grudge. and, and, And they've canceled somebody out. And it's time to let all that go. And it's going to feel so good when it's gone. So I pray for them. I pray for a person, Lord, who's been caught up in doing things they shouldn't be doing. And they know they, matter of fact, they so know they shouldn't be doing this. They've said over and over, this is the last time I'm going to stop. But they haven't stopped. And now they can have the power. Now they can have the strength. Now they they can have that love from you. So I pray for people to say yes to you right now. Right now, I'm going to lead that prayer. And if you're ready to say yes to the Lord, either for the first time or to recommit, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. Say, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone who's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God. Man, I'm excited for you. We're excited for you. Most of all, God's excited for you. So if you prayed the prayer, make sure you text an amen to us and we want to get back with you. But I really want to say this. Our hope, our prayer, our desire is that this Christmas season is extra special for you. So as we end, I want to say this. May God's righteousness be upon you. May your righteousness shine forth. And may you find ways to show love to others And may you understand that when that happens, that you're blessed to be a blessing. And may you bless. God bless you guys, and we'll see you soon.